Welcome to Creating Space, a podcast designed to help children, parents, and organizations of neurodiverse learners. We aim to create a space to learn, share, and grow together. Whether you're a parent navigating the challenges of raising a neurodiverse child, an educator looking for new strategies and insights, or an organization committed to creating more inclusive spaces, this podcast is for you. So join us on this journey as we explore the world of neurodiversity and work towards creating spaces where every child can thrive. Tell us a little bit about something that wasn't in your bio, Jill. Only 33% of students with learning differences graduate in college. That is unconscionable. Only 20% of kids with autism. So we don't look at colleges and say, you have to go here because they have good support. If I had said that to my son, it would have crushed him. So we're looking for our kids and families to get that full overall college experience in terms of the social life, in terms of the activities, if you want to go to the big football game, to create that good match along with the learning support so the kids can be half happy and successful. Because we shouldn't have to exchange. Happy. No, you don't. And a lot of times parents of neurodiverse learners and kids with learning differences, we feel like we have to make a choice, but your services tell us we do not have to make that choice. I don't believe so. And every year we put together a list of our college acceptances. And I would say there are at least 75 different colleges on it. So we know that there are plenty of places out there for our kids to thrive. And we do not want to just make it about their learning difference. We want to pay attention to it. But your kid is way more than their learning difference. When you have children with neurodiverse opportunities, right, sometimes we focus, we hyper-focus on them. Like that is that child. That is Bob. That is Joy. But that's just a part of who they are. Right. Absolutely. And I get upset when I hear or I see in writing an LD student or an ADHD student. That doesn't define them. This is not the biggest part of who they are. They are a student or a child with ADHD. This is a small part of who they are. So to make it this humongous NOA tragedy is really inappropriate. I have two kids who are neurodiverse. They're both college graduates doing well in the world, married. It can happen. It can happen. So can you tell us some more specific challenges? Because you've been doing this a long time, Jill. Some specific challenges that neurodiverse learners face when it comes to college and post-secondary education. What I see is the biggest challenge is parents don't often pay attention to what kind of supports are available at particular colleges. And there's this magical thinking, my kid's going to be okay. And again, we don't make this the primary, make it into a huge thing, but it's something that really you need to pay attention to. Almost all the kids that we have seen who have not done well at colleges is because they don't have the right level of support. It's not because they're not capable. It's not because they can't do the work. It's because the support isn't there to continue to teach them the skills that they need. We provide them so much support in that K through 12 domain and area. And then we just say, good luck. Good luck at your college. I mean, too many times, obviously in our practice, that doesn't happen. But what we've seen in the kids who, you know, we get transfers or a family will make a bad decision about a school. And, you know, it's because enough attention wasn't paid to the small but important piece of the learning support at college. And that's huge. 
So when parents come to you, when families come to you, Jill, what's the primary concern and need? We look at five categories, okay, when we're looking at kids. The first decision we have to make, are they college-bound? Because we see kids who are not college-bound, and we have lots of great programs for them. They learn independent living skills. They learn vocational skills. Our goal is to launch them into adulthood as much as possible. So we look at academics. Most of our kids don't know what they want to study, but they know what they like. We look at social life. I put a ton of emphasis on the social life because you can say to a kid, well, you need to go here because of the learning support. And then they don't like any of the kids. That's ridiculous. So social life is huge. We look at extracurriculars. A lot of our kids get their self-esteem from things they do outside of the classroom. We've had kids, you know, black belts in karate, and we've had kids who are into mock trial. I mean, you name it. So we really try to provide them with those opportunities at college. We look at learning support, and we look at their independent living skills. Because if they can't get themselves up in the morning and take their own meds, we have to find a way either to teach them or they need to go somewhere where those skills can be taught to them. So all of those factors are important. We tend to put the most emphasis on the social life and the learning support. The academics, the kids usually don't. If they declare a major, they're going to change their mind. Extracurriculars generally are not all that important to them. Did they answer the question? No, it, it did. It actually put me on a little ADHD spin myself. Because I think about how long it took me, first of all, to get through college because I was so all over the place and probably need a little guidance myself. But I didn't think about this. I'm very social and a lot of the kids that I meet are very social as well. But I didn't think about that as anything in terms of making a decision on what I did or how I did it or where I chose a school. But I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, first of all, most of our kids with ADHD really good social skills. They're just savvy. So. At a big state university, we don't worry about kids finding their people. There are a million different kids. They're going to find kids they like. And we can find ways to make this a little bit smaller. A lot of the smaller schools, like 2,000 kids, they lean toward kids who are have particular views. You know, they might be really far left. They might have a million piercings and purple hair. And that is not always appropriate for a kid who's more conservative. So that's, you know, and again... You have to go where you find your people. We're sending kids away from their families. Got to find friends. And think again, For now that I'm a parent of children and I have one that's two years off of, in terms of college, you are, you're sending them away. I love what you said. You're sending them away. They're going away from what they know and their safe place, their routines and neurodiverse learners. That's a big deal. For atypical kids, that's a big deal. But for neurodiverse learners, that's a big deal. The whole routine is shifted. Sometimes the whole state has shifted. And so finding them in a place where that they're happy or they like the people or their interests are there just gives them a leg up. Yeah. I mean, we work with twins and they love to swim. Okay. They used it to, to de- you know, handle their anxiety. It was also their exercise. And so we looked at schools that had pools that they could swim in. And did I think it was silly? No, this was really important to these boys. So you don't say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, if it's something's important to a kid, we get it for them. You know, in my sort of day-to-day, sometimes I have difficult conversations with parents. You know, maybe you have a parent, Joe, that's come and they want their child, their hopes and dreams or, you know, Harvard or Yale, like that's where the family went or their school or whatever the case is. Have you ever had to have difficult conversations to say, listen, 
I know this is what you want and this is what you've been dreaming of, but this is what we recommend. We certainly have had difficult conversations. We're very fortunate that 99% of our parents want what's a good match for their kids. They want them to be supportive. We certainly we have high achievers for sure. To me, the hardest conversation I have to have is when I have to tell a parent their kid cannot go to college, that they don't have the cognitive ability to do the work. They may have been in all special ed classes in high school. The kid may not want to go. Like, I just worked with a family and the kid said, I want to go to college. And he's at all special ed classes. And I dug a little deeper and I said, well, what does that mean to you? He says, I want to go to the football game. I want to have fun. What he meant was, I want to live on campus. I don't want to take the classes. But that's always a hard conversation when parents have expectations their kids are college bound. And most of our kids who really struggle in school, I mean, certainly there are plenty of them that go to college. But our kids who are kind of on the borderline or have all special classes, they don't want any more, you know, biology or English. And I agree. I think it's time to start preparing them for adult life. Kid, And they can take some college classes. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen for them. But to rule out, I'm a tr- full-time matriculating student. That's, and I have a lot of parents cry. That's just going to say, I mean, it has to, like, I think about it now as a parent and I'm like, I don't want to talk to Jill about that. Like, that's not the plan. But again, that's the reality. You have to take what you have and where your child is and be honest about what they need because it's their life. And we're trying to set them up for success. Absolutely. We have a high school bias and they don't put on the kids' transcripts that they have special ed classes. So theoretically, the kids could all go to college. Okay. I will not say, hey, you're Kate, you know, we can get them in somewhere. Because to me, it's not about getting in, it's about staying in. And to set the kids up for failure is not what we do at all. We want them to be in the spot where they're going to be happy and successful. I think that's critically important. How long do you typically work with families? When do they usually typically request your services? We start as early as eighth grade. Clearly, we're not talking college. What we're talking is curriculum, what classes they should take, what levels they should take in high school. We can talk about summer plans, things like that. Generally speaking, we get most of our kids sophomore and junior year. Again, we're talking about courses. We're talking about test prep, whether they want it, whether the kids want to take one, you know, ACT, SAT called. By junior year, we start really developing lists. Okay. So right now, I would say most of our calls are from juniors, but we also have sophomores. Funny, we don't have freshmen. We have a bunch of eighth graders. So any time like that it is fine. We love to start with the kids early. We don't charge anymore because we're setting them up for success. So when it comes time to do their college list, the kids feel good about themselves. The parents feel good. And they have multiple choices in terms of colleges rather than kind of, you know, just making their way through high school and not feeling successful and good about themselves. And Jill, do you actually, your company, do you guys provide them help through that application process as well? Not only placement, but just the application, all the things that are involved there? Absolutely. So we give the kids unlimited appointments with us. And we are pretty rare. My feeling, when I've talked to a lot of other consultants about this, I am trying to make the process easier for the family, for the kid, and take away some of that anxiety. So if I had a kid here and I said, okay, you need to go home and do this. This is your homework. I would say probably 95% of the time they would not do it. 
And then the parents are going, did you do the homework? Did you do the homework? So we just take that completely out of the process. The kids can meet with us as many times as they need until we get done with their applications. We help with the essays. We help with the applications. If there's an application to a support program, we're very, very thorough. And I think parents need it. I love it. You said, let me take that off your plate. So you guys have a lot going on. Let us support in all the different ways. And having access to you, Unlimited, is rare, Jill. Well, and I was one of those parents, so I get it. You know, telling my kids, well, with my son, I was already in the basis. My daughter, did you do this? You know, she has ADHD. Did you get this done? You know, and it was not fun. And I got their senior year to be as pleasant as possible. And it's not fun when the parents are constantly on the kids about getting work done. And we love the kids, so we're happy to see them. What advice do you have for families and students who are considering college? A parent came to you and said, we're thinking about college. We have a neurodiverse learner. What advice would you give them? Number one, pay attention to what your kid tells you, your student tells you. Do not say, well, you can't go to a big school or a small school. It doesn't mean that's appropriate for them, but they have to feel heard. This is many ways the beginning of their adult life, okay? Secondly, find out about those supports, okay? Because that's the number one reason kids don't do well at college. You can call disability support offices. We have a website. We do one-on-one interviews with all the different colleges, so it makes it nice and tidy for you. But it's a small but important piece. So those two things, I think. I think that's critical. And I want to just like have coffee with you every day, Jill because you say such nuggets, but just listening to your children, what they're telling you. I think sometimes as parents, and you know, I'm new to the parenting game, I have the 16-year-old, you've done this for a long time, but sometimes we hear them and we don't hear them. We hear what they're saying and we sort of imprint our own thoughts and our own dreams on what they're sharing with us versus just listening to what they think they need. And that may adjust and change as they get more information, right? You have to validate what they're saying. And again, it doesn't mean you're agreeing with it, but you have to validate their thoughts and feelings. I feel like I should mention the website, even though I'm not one to push it or anything. It's oh. College Supports for Learning Differences, www.collegesupports.com. And we have a ton of information. Again, I'm not trying to sell it, you know, but that's an easy way to find the supports without calling a million different places. Thank you so much. I have a couple questions for you. Jill, you ready? Uh-huh. What is your superpower? My superpower is insightfulness. Okay. It is critical to the work I do. Absolutely. You have to be able to read between the lines. You have to figure out, you have to understand who a child is, who the family is. But in a bigger sense, it works really well in the world. I'm very sensitive. And I can pick out things, pick up cues, nonverbal cues. And my insightfulness helps me just, I think, be a better person and definitely a better consultant. I love that. Finish this sentence for me. What the world needs now is. We need to listen to each other in, in a million arenas. And I think if we could and really listened, the world would be in a much better place. And one last question, Jill, what is your own personal offering to the world? Why are you here on this planet? I think 
my sensitivity, my kindness, the way I deal with people. And I bring that to the work I do. Every student that we have, it's that old story about the turtles. You know, there are a million baby turtles on the sand and little boys putting them in the water one at a time. Do you know that story, Joy? Oh, family's on a beach and they're like thousands of baby turtles. Okay. And the little boy sees them. Some of them are not going to make it to the water. They will die first. And the little boy is picking up turtles and putting them in the water. And the parents said, you know, you're not going to be able to pick them all up. And the little boy said, but think about the ones that I did pick up. Okay. So obviously I can't change the world, but every kid who comes to our office, I can help make their life successful, happy, better. And that is not lost on me. I love, love, love to hear my kids are doing well. They're out in the world. They're in professional schools. I mean, you name it. And to me, there's nothing better than helping them get to the point they want to be. Reminds me, there's a song that's called Each One Reach One. It reminds me of what you just said. Like sometimes we're thinking this big global change, the world international phenom. And just that one, that parent that called you, that child that is now successful, like that is what matters in the world. It really comes down to the heart of why you're doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. It's the heart of who you are and why you're wanting to, that each one reach one and change the lives of the one. And in the process, you're changing the lives of the many. Jill, thank you so much for joining Creating Space today. Thank you so much. The audience, I'm sure, will benefit from all of your wisdom, your knowledge, your heart for children and for families. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 